Well, it was uh, Jim Valvano. Some of you may know him. He's the late coach of the North Carolina State basketball team, the team that went on this miracle run through the tournament some 30 years ago. Uh, he had this to say about his dad. My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. And his statement really echoes the impact, the effect that dads can have on their kids. I was reminded just uh, last week or the week before, uh, listening to Al Mohler's uh, podcast, uh, The Briefing. I don't know if any of you listened to that, but very helpful. I would highly encourage you to get on that. And he talked about a week or two ago about the impact, the study that was done, a secular study on the impact of fathers on the moral purity of their daughters. And if and just how their involvement and influence in their lives, how that affected uh, young ladies in regards to uh, their purity. And this is consistent with a study that I remember reading a few years ago, a study that talked about the effect of fathers, or really the effect of fathers who are absent. Um, There is indeed a much higher rate of unwed pregnancy occurring among young women from fatherless homes. The study also showed that over two-thirds of all high school dropouts came from homes without a dad. 90% of all runaway children are from homes where the father is absent. Three-quarters of all adolescent patients in drug rehab. Two-thirds of youth suicide. Almost nine out of ten youth in prison are from fatherless homes. And in fact, the, those from homes who had an abusive or absent dad are much more likely to struggle with things such as homosexuality. And these are just some of the alarming consequences of an absent father. I, I was really surprised to read this statement from Gloria Steinem. Some of you may be familiar with her. She was a leader of the early feminist movement. She was very anti-biblical views toward marriage. But listen to what she said regarding the importance of fathers. She said, most American children suffer too much mother and too little father. Profound from a woman like that. Dads have been designed by God to lead in their homes, not as kings, not as tyrants, not as dictators, but as loving shepherds caring for their children. And when they don't do that, the children suffer, sometimes greatly. And because of the key role dads play, because of the key role you men who are fathers and even grandfathers play in your families, there is a target on your back. The evil one especially has his sight on you because he understands if he can get to you, he can get to the home. And if he can get to the home, he can affect the church. I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that the biggest moral problems in our culture among men are lust, loot, and leisure? You think that's accidental? Satan has had a plan. as He has effectively used these things in order to distract men, in order to hinder men, in order to draw them away from their responsibility, even their desire to spend time in their families, to give attention to their children, to their wives. And so, men, this morning, I want this to be a battle cry for us to take back the ground that Satan has taken from us. Amen? Now, some of this message may be Hard to hear. There may be some conviction. But men, don't take that as something to just feel bad about perhaps the, the way you have fathered or, or to be afraid of what's before you if you're a young dad. Take it as a motivation because you can have such a tremendous impact within your home and even within the homes of others here. And so this morning, I want to take us to Psalm 128. 
Psalm 128. It's really, a, in a lot of ways, a psalm for dads. And this psalm will show you the great blessing, actually, that God has for you as you fulfill your role as a spiritual leader in your home. So let's go. Psalm 128, where we will learn the blessings of a man who fears God. And for you who are not husbands or or fathers or grandfathers here, please do not tune me out this morning. This psalm has some important principles for you as well. And again, we are all in this together, right? When we talk about the family, it's not just the family within the four walls of your house. It is our family here at Calvary Bible Church. We are to be a help to one another. Now, the title of the psalm, if you'll notice, it says it's a song of ascents. And these were a collection of 15 psalms that the Israelites would sing as they traveled to, the, to Jerusalem for the three annual feasts that were being held there. And these were called the songs of ascent because you would literally be ascending into Jerusalem. It was about 2,700 feet elevation, and especially if you were coming from the side of the Dead Sea and and the Jordan River, you'd be going up quite a a long hill in order to get to Jerusalem. And so these psalms were actually collected together with the intent that they would be sung by these families, these sojourners, making their way to the temple on these festival days. And so as we begin, I'd I'd like you to picture yourself as part of a that entourage, you're part of, we're all a group of people together, families, and we're going up into uh, Jerusalem, heading towards the, the Mount, Mount Zion. We, we see the temple there, and we're singing these songs together. You're with your family, and you're singing along, and you hear uh, your children sing as you're teaching these songs, and the rest of the family, and, and as you're singing, you come to the psalm, Psalm 128, and you hear these words ring out. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon you. Israel. Now, did you catch the emphasis of this psalm? There's a word that's repeated several times here. It's the word bless or blessing. And blessing is the theme here. It rings out throughout the psalm. In fact, we see it from the very first line. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And then in verse 4, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed. And then in verse 5, may the Lord bless you. So there's, there's blessing all over this song. And there are also other words that kind of go along with that idea. We see words here, happy, well, prosperity, peace. So let's look closely at this psalm again, where we will learn the the blessings of being a person, especially a man who fears the Lord. Now we hear this word blessing thrown out around quite a bit these days, especially if you were to turn on the television, you would hear many TV preachers talking about blessing, blessing from God, uh, being blessed by God. And often the focus there is material wealth or possessions or good health or great circumstances, prosperity. But but as I watch some of these guys, you know, the words of Anigo Montoya, who said this to Fasini, comes to mind. You remember what he said there? He said, you, you keep using that word, but I don't think you know what it, I don't think you, it means what you think it means. I messed that up, but, you know, you remember that. 
You see, the, the so-called Christian culture in the United States views blessing as, as happiness that I enjoy from my circumstances, from my experiences, from my possessions. But that's not what the psalmist is focusing on here. Blessing goes much deeper, it's much more profound, and it's much um, more, uh, what, what's the right word here? Blessed. It's much more enjoyable it brings deeper satisfaction has this idea of being truly fulfilled fully satisfied completely at peace content steve lawson said this happiness is determined not by where your body is but by where by where your heart is not by your external circumstances but by your internal contentment not by your finances or fame but by your faith john piper says that true blessing is found not in the gift, but in the giver. In other words, supreme blessing is not from what I have in this life, but who I have in this life. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk expressed this in a very meaningful way. He talked about this kind of inner joy no matter what was going on around him when he said this in Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That is a man who has experienced blessing. That blessing from God, it's it's not so much an outward condition, but an inward prosperity. Blessing is is an inner peace, a true contentment, a satisfaction, as I mentioned before. It it is a settled joy, no matter what your circumstances are. And so the burning question then is, well, how do I receive that blessing? How do I be that person that God gives that true contentment, that inner peace, that satisfaction, no matter what is happening around me? There's no shortage of opinions. If you were to Google the, the secret of blessing, you'd get... 15, 20, 30 million hits. Lots of people have ideas about this and opinions. For some, the secret of blessing is to show gratitude and to give to other people. Others say blessing is is love or being content or raising a family or having a bucket list and then carrying it out. Or televangelists will tell you that you will be blessed if you give them money. I'm sure that's, you know, there's no bias there from them. But there's no secret, really. There's no secret of blessing because the psalmist tells us plainly right here in this psalm. Notice what he says again in verse 1. How blessed is everyone who, what? Fears the Lord. There it is. There it is. Blessing is directly tied to our fear of the Lord. And notice here, he's speaking to everyone. He says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So the obvious question then is, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? If that is the the source of this blessing that God gives, how do I fear him? Well, that word fear might often bring to mind this idea of, you know, cowering in the corner, terror, being frightened or scared. And while that is the fear that many will experience when they stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, It is not the kind of fear that God speaks of regarding his children. For you see, terror would not drive us to the Lord, right? But rather away from him. No, the fear of the Lord for the believer is found in the context of a relationship. 
It defines the nature of it. I want you to listen to these Old Testament passages speaking of the fear of the Lord. And as I read these, listen for what is associated with it. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, Moses said, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him? And serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, for your good. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Psalm 112, verse 1. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. Psalm 115, 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Your shield. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. And I really like how the psalmist expressed it there. Did you catch that? Those who fear him, he said, are those who are waiting for his loving kindness. Now, does that sound like someone cowering in terror in the corner? Not at all. Did you see? Listen to all that he said here. Those uh, fear of the Lord involves trust in God, love for God, serving God, worshiping him, serving, being forgiven, hating evil, clinging to him. Those are all terms that embody relationship. Those who fear the Lord are those who wait for his loving kindness. 19th century theologian Charles Bridges said this, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. I like that term, an affectionate reverence. You know, if if a man burst into the door of my house and he had a gun in his hand and he pointed at me and said, Give me the keys to your car! I would do what he said. I would... Fear him, and so I would obey. In fact, I've been in that situation of the gun pointed at me, and I did exactly what the man told me to do. Very quickly, I might add. (laughs) Now, let's say it was my dad who came in the room, and he asked me for the keys to the car. I would also give give him my keys, but for a very different reason. I would not do it out of terror, but I would do it out of love and respect for my dad. And in both cases, one could say that I responded out of fear. One was a fear of harm and terror. The other was a fear of respect, an affectionate reverence, if you will. How much more so for our Heavenly Father should our affectionate reverence be? Fear of the Lord is that supreme honor and awe of God that is rooted in love and gratitude and commitment and affection. Now, it's important to understand, where, where does that fear begin? How does it move from terror to an affectionate reverence? Well, I think Revelation fourteen six gives us a good description of that. It is uh, the last sermon really preached on planet Earth, and it's preached by an angel who's flying in the heavens. And as he's flying over the earth, these are the words that he's crying out to those who live in the last days. John says in his vision, I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every every nation, every tribe, every tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and earth and sea and the springs of waters. 
And here we see this angel preaching an eternal gospel. And at the core of that message, the eternal message of salvation, the first thing he says is, fear God and give him glory and worship him who made everything. That's at the core of the gospel. And so to fear God begins with this, to confess your sins, to admit that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, a sinner in need of a savior. That is where then in doing that, if you're genuine, if you seek to turn from your sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up so that if you repent and believe, you would be saved. Put your trust in him. And then that that terror, you won't feel that terror come judgment day when you stand before him. Instead, it will be affectionate reverence. And that affectionate reverence begins at the moment you put your faith in him. The moment you put your faith in him, you no no longer fear judgment anymore. In fact, 1 John 4 said that. uh, the, The love of God, he said, perfect love casts out fear. What he's talking about there is the love of the Father. And his perfect love for you will cast down any fear you might have of eternal judgment. Fearing God begins with recognizing that we've not honored him or thanked him or worshipped him or given him glory as he deserves. We've not loved him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God offers amnesty, forgiveness for any who would put your trust, his trust in him. And so, friend, let me just ask you. Picture that day when you die, and we all are going to die unless Jesus returns before that, and you stand before him, what kind of fear will you experience? Terror or affectionate reverence? The Bible says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't let that be you. Instead, confess your sins to him. Seek his forgiveness, and he will freely forgive. So for the... The believer, that fear of the Lord, it it expresses that ongoing relationship with him. An ongoing relationship of of trust, of being forgiven, of clinging to him, of looking toward and for his loving kindness. It is to walk by the Spirit, it is to be Spirit-filled. It is to delight in the Word of God. It is to delight in your relationship with Christ. It is to desire to follow and trust and obey him. And at the end of Psalm 128, notice it says there, to walk in his ways. That means the one who claims to fear the Lord, the one who claims to have that affectionate reverence for him, will follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, by this, we know that, by this we know that we have come to know him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. That's the evidence. That's how you know if you fear the Lord. Psalm 128 says that rich blessing follows the one who fears God. And notice here the beginning of the psalm again. It's addressed to everyone. But then we see a transition. There's a transition as we go from everyone in verse 1 to husbands and fathers in the rest of the poem. Verse 2, or or verse 3, excuse me, refers to your wife. Verse 4 says, thus shall the man. And then the Hebrew pronouns and verbs here are all masculine singular. You and your and the verbs that are mentioned here. So he's speaking here now, verses 2 and on, to... Men, to husbands and fathers in particular. He zeroes in on his audience and says, Men, now I especially want you to listen up. Everyone who fears the Lord will be blessed. But now I want to give a special word directed towards you. 
I want you to consider what a man who fears the Lord, what that life of that man looks like. And so the psalmist describes two types of blessing here for the man who fears the Lord. First, there is domestic blessing in verses 2 to 4, and then there's what I call durable blessing in verses 5 and 6. Look again at verse 2 where we see domestic blessing. He says here, when you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now notice in verse 2, the area of God's blessing is the man's work, the first area. For the God-fearing man, his work, though hard, is not an overwhelming burden, but a joy. In it he will find satisfaction and good. Now, some of, some of you men might be thinking, yeah, right, you don't know the job I got. But I, I want to focus our, most of our time in regards to the man's home, but, but let's just pause a moment here. I want us to look at verse 2 for a second. The man who fears the Lord is a hardworking man. That word fruit there that he mentions in verse 2, it describes something that has been gained by great labor or toil. The Net Bible translates it as this, you will eat what you worked so hard to grow. And so we see here the picture of blessing isn't just God dropping things into your lap, giving you prosperity without any effort on your part at all. No, in fact, what did Paul say in 2 Thessalonians? Where he said, if a man will not work, let him not eat. Spurgeon said, though we are in God's hands, we are to be supported by our own hands. He will give us daily bread, but it must be made by our own labor. How many of you have put ingredients of a particular recipe on the counter and then walked away and did something else, went, took a nap and came back and there was a nice cake waiting there for you. Anybody ever experienced that? Well, that's the point here. Is he will bless us with our daily bread, but we must work hard for it. And after describing the blessing of the godly man's work, he then opens the door in verse 3 to the godly man's house. Gives us a, a peek in to see what does the home of a man who fears God look like. Attention is first drawn in verse 3 to his wife. She is described here as a fruitful vine within his house. Now some commentators, they, they say that this represents the, the blessing of many children. And while that is indeed a blessing, it is not the whole of it. There were many, many godly women in the scripture who happened to be barren for most, if not all, of their life. I think of Hannah and and Sarah as two examples. A survey of the Old Testament actually shows that a healthy vine, a, a beautiful vine, a fruitful vine, really it's described as being beautiful when in blossom, as sweet smelling, as a place of rest and comfort, as a source of enjoyment, as a place of shade, as a provision of sustenance. And so the fruitful vine here that's being described or pictured in Psalm 128 is this uh, picture of a thriving, productive, vibrant beautiful woman who is a source of peace and blessing enjoyment in the home and so the wife of a god-fearing man is not only blessed herself but she is also a blessing to him and to the family that's what he's describing here proverbs 31 gives a picture of that type of woman titus 2 4 and 5 which we will uh, get to lord willing in the titus series gives the picture of a fruitful vine in practical terms these Chapters describe a woman who fears the Lord, who works hard, who manages her household, who shows grace to all, who is kind and loving to her husband and her children, who respects her husband, who has the trust of her husband. 
who is loyal and loves her family. Now, you husbands, let me ask you this. Is your wife characterized that way? Is she a fruitful vine within your home? And I ask you that because a healthy vine comes only with careful attending. Just like the wise vine grower carefully cultivates, cares for, spends time with, fertilizes, waters, gives attention to his vine, pruning, protecting from disease and pests, so too does the God-fearing man care for his wife. For men, you are part of the means to bring her to that fruitfulness. Husbands, how are you cultivating your vine? Do you love her as Christ loved the church? Do you seek to continuously cherish her and nourish her and care for her? Do you wash her with the word? Are you living with her in an understanding way? Are you granting her honor as a fellow grace, fellow participant in the grace of life? Because guys, this is how you cultivate your vine. Neglect these things and your vine will wilt. So again, let me ask you, is your wife a fruitful vine in your home? Look at the next part of verse 3. The psalmist turns his attention from the man who fears the Lord from his wife to his kids. And notice how he describes them here, like olive shoots, um, olive plants that are sprouting from around the table. Now, the olive tree was a vital part of the ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh, olives were used not only for food, but they were also a source of medicine. Olive oil was used for, for lamps and for heating. Olive oil was also used as sort of a, a, a currency because of its value. It was used to anoint. It was used for healing properties. And so to describe the children as these olive shoots, it pictures this blessing of future prosperity, of future comfort and provision and security. You kids are listening, right? You know, my kids are listening, right? When I get old, you got you to gotta care for me here. That's the picture here. That's that future. It's pressure. When I say this stuff publicly, now they're accountable to it. So, But notice verse 3. These olive plants are where? Outside in the yard? Far away? No, they're in the home, right? And not only that, he mentioned specifically they're shooting out from the table. Now, in that culture, the table was really the, the center of the home. It was the central gathering place of the family. Often, maybe the only piece of furniture within the home was the table. It was a place of fellowship, of family identity. It was a place where uh, family unity could be cultivated. And so, children are seen here as being rooted from a central location of nurture and care within the home. So, dads, let me ask you again. Are you cultivating your olive plants? Are they characterized as those who obey and honor their parents? Are you living out the instruction that we mentioned earlier in the series from Ephesians 6, 4? Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Men, are you doing that? And are you persevering? Are you being consistent? Are you in it for the long haul? You know, it takes an olive tree at least 10 years to bear fruit. And for us, sometimes it's much longer than that. Our children require attention for a long period of time. Are you committed to that? You know, as we look into the 
man who fears the Lord into his home, what we see here is really, it's kind of almost like a Thomas Kincaid portrait of what it looks like. We see this peaceful, vibrant, loving, nurturing, caring situation. It's a productive place. It's a fruitful place. Men, let me ask you, do you desire to have this be the picture of your home? Would you love to to be able to describe your household as one where your wife is a fruitful vine and your children are like olive plants around your table. When you enter what's called, often our homes are called a place of rest. When you enter your place of rest, is it indeed a place of rest? Let's look now at verse 4. The psalmist now directs his attention again right at husbands and fathers and future husbands and fathers When he says, behold, that is men, stop a minute now. Think about this. Consider what I'm about to say. Don't miss it. Behold, thus indeed, certainly is the man who fears the Lord. He will be blessed. He will experience this kind of home. And that's the point, man. Here's the point. Your home is interconnected to you. Your family is ultimately a reflection of you. The home of the man who fears the Lord is blessed because the home of the man who fears the Lord is a man who is passionate for God. We just spoke a minute ago what fear of the Lord looks like. It is that man who clings to God, who trusts in Him, who looks to Him for loving kindness, who's forgiven by Him, who obeys, who has an affectionate reverence. And it is that man who strives hard after God and it is that man who will shepherd his family. It is that man who will make an impact. Notice these first four verses here. They show there is a direct link between the state of your home and the state of your walk. How does your home compare? Again, is your wife a fruitful vine or is she shriveling up? Are your children like olive plants or are they more like weeds? Is your home a place of joy and And peace, where God is integrally integrally woven within the fabric of what you do? Or is there a constant conflict and rebellion and strife and arguing, negativity, harshness, impatience? If that's the case, do you want to see change? Do you want to see a difference? Well, first, men, you need to recognize this. And please listen to me right now. Listen to me, men. Recognize this, or you will not get it. Your wife is not the problem. Your children are not the problem. You are. You are. So draw near to God. Beg Him for forgiveness. Ask Him for that affectionate reverence. Beg Him for it. Lord, I want to be this man. I want to have this affectionate reverence for you because I know that will make an effect and impact in my home. Are you consistent in your time with the Lord? Would you characterize yourself as passionate for Christ, living for Him? Would you describe yourself, would your family describe you as a man who is walking by the Spirit, who is following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ? Honestly examine, have you neglected spiritually nourishing yourself and your wife and your kids? Again, what else could you be doing that's more important than this? What else could you be doing that's more important than this? Again, this is for the long haul, brothers. For the long haul. 
It's not just spending a few months or even a few years. Oh, I tried that. I did all this stuff. I really worked on my relationship with God and my home's still a disaster. Well, that doesn't work. Let me just move on. Do my own thing. Olive trees take a long time. Fruitful vines take a long time. It's like diets, right? You can go on those crash diets. You might lose the weight quickly, but guess what happens? Keep those bigger clothes in your closet because you're going to need them soon. And I speak this from experience. (laughs) It's that diet where you lose it slowly, consistently over time. That usually makes an impact for the long haul. Now I understand maybe you did not have the best role model growing up. Maybe you came from a home where your dad was abusive or absent or hypocritical. But listen, fellas, you cannot be responsible for your ancestors, but you can make an impact on your descendants. You're not responsible for those who went before you, but you can make a difference on the ones that come after. If you want to see a revival in your home, it starts with you men. It starts with you. And some of you guys, and I, and I can say this for myself at times in my life, so distracted, you've lost sight of your priorities. You're in danger. You're in danger of losing your families, not just physically, but spiritually. Don't risk it, guys. Where are your children at with the Lord? Have you asked them lately? Have you spent time with them in the Word? Have you talked to them about their joys or their struggles? How is your wife doing? Are you praying with and for her? Are you praying with and for your family? Are you leading them in the Word? Now, now some of you, I understand, may be stepdads. And you're unsure what, what your role is here. But listen to me. Any child in your home is your responsibility, guys. Stepdad or not. Let me remind you, Jesus had a stepdad. And he was given responsibility by the Heavenly Father himself. (laughs) You take care of my boy. It's your responsibility to shepherd those within your home, whether they are your own flesh or blood, whether they're a stepchild, whether they're adopted, foster child. They need a godly man to be an example before them and instruct them in the word. And guys, you are that man. You single men, take this psalm to heart. You need to memorize this psalm, guys, and meditate on it. Spend time in it. Pray along the lines of this psalm. Focus on fearing the Lord in your own life. Believe me, you do that. You cultivate that affectionate reverence for God, that consistency. You will be such a blessing to your family. If you want that inner prosperity, enjoy, inner prosperity, join now and for the future. Cultivate this affectionate reverence. Ditch any distraction right now, guys, that is in your life that is stealing time away from you cultivating your relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe me, it will make a difference later. You older men, can you say amen with me on that? Do you have a desire or wish that you could go back and change a few things? Oh, it's just me, huh? None of the rest of you. (laughs) Young men, I'd say if you speak to any older man here, they will tell you that. I wish I had done some things differently when I was younger. You know what? Learn the lesson from them rather than having to go through it yourself. And wives, I want to appeal to you. 
Being this kind of man is hard. Are you helping or hindering your man in this? You can have a huge impact. I mean, it can be overwhelming at times to think about the responsibility. And especially, ladies, when your man comes out, goes out of this room this morning, he's feeling the weight. This is not an easy passage or easy uh, topic to consider this morning. This is hard. So, ladies, find ways to be an encouragement. Pray and don't nag. And I'm being serious. <laughs> My wife will often tell ladies, ladies, you have a secret weapon, prayer. Do you, do you trust God that he can change your man? Yes. So pray. Don't nag. Don't belittle. Don't badger. That's the point of First Peter 3, gentle and quiet spirit. It doesn't mean you don't talk at all. But how is it that you speak? Are you an encouragement? Do you show him respect? God's designed men to respond to these things. Trust his word on that. I know some of you ladies have unsaved husbands, or maybe you are a single mom. But listen, don't think that without a father around that you can't have an impact on your kids. I so appreciate Paul telling us about Timothy and how his mother invested herself in him instructed him as well as grandma in the word of God. And so as a result of his mother's faithfulness and in instructing Timothy in the word, Paul says it is that word that led you to wisdom, which led to your salvation. His mother could be credited for his salvation because of her faithfulness. So don't think that because your husband or husband's not around that you can't have an impact on your kids, a significant one. James one twenty seven says this also, single moms, that God's special care is upon the fatherless. And kids, maybe your dad doesn't measure up to what we've been talking about here. Let me just tell you this. None do. <laughs> so pray for your dad. Respect him. He's in a difficult position. And young men, especially you're going to be in the same one someday, most likely. So show your dad some empathy and consideration. Help him. You help him, that will be a blessing on you. So let me encourage you in that way. Single ladies, if you desire to have a home that looks like this one, then you need to look for the right guy. Don't just settle. You want to be a fruitful vine? You want to have children in your home that are these olive plants? Don't just settle. Find the guy who fears the Lord, no matter what he looks like. <laughs> but you'll... Well, I won't go further with that one. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you know, if you follow and seek for a man who looks like the one... In Psalm 128, I mean, that's really your only selection criteria, ladies. This, this criteria, this point here in the psalm, this kind of man, it, it, he towers above any other. This is the one you're supposed to look for. Find that guy. If you want a home that looks like what's described here. You men whose kids are grown up, you don't get a pass here. Even if your kids are out of the home, you still, if you're married, have a vine that needs tending. You still have the opportunity to influence your children 
and their children. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked in Deuteronomy and talked about the, the, the fathers and grandfathers and their responsibility to the coming generation. So men, you have that. You can still be an example of a godly husband to your family. You can still make an impact on your kids and on their kids. You older saints, how are you contributing to helping husbands and fathers in this church? You older men, who are maybe your grandchildren even are are grown or growing up, are you investing in the younger men here? So excited about going through Titus. We're going to talk more about that. But are you praying for these younger men? Are you getting in small groups with them so that you're around them, spending time with them? Don't relegate yourself to the old guys' club. Spend time with your peers for sure. But but remember, we're all in this together. How are you helping these men here? You know how hard it is, how hard it was. Help them. Take on more service opportunities in the church so that dads can spend more time with their families. Who is it that typically is most involved in churches? It's usually the younger people, the young moms and young dads. But but that's backwards. Yes, we all need to be involved in serving one another here, but especially those of you who have more time because your kids are no longer in your home. You know, I have to say, I have so much respect for my parents in this. They're in their 70s. They are almost the most involved people in their church. I, I just, I'm so appreciative of their example. And because of that, they're freeing up the younger men to be able also to serve in the church, but also to invest time in their homes. And you know, as we talk about this subject, Father's Day, I've got to say this, maybe... Maybe Father's Day is is a hard day for you because of your dad. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was abusive. Maybe he was just harsh. Maybe you don't have fond memories of him. But let me just remind you, you do have a father who loves you, who cares for you. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a dad that has given everything so that you might be his adopted son or daughter. Don't let what your dad did or didn't do affect how you see our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Now, guys, I'm not trying to beat you up, at least not all of you. Um, (laughs) I'm in the same boat here. I really don't like sermons like this because my wife's sitting right there. And my kids are right there. They know me. They know I have not been this kind of man throughout the years that I've had my family. So I know many of you are trying. I know many of you may be listening to this sermon and and you have regrets. I feel a lot of regret. I've been married over 27 years. I've been a dad for... 25 of those, and you know, there's a lot of things I wish I could change. There's a lot of times I've wasted time. I don't get it back. I think about my kids and their struggles. I think about the difficulties I've had in my marriage, and at times it's like this overwhelming burden. It's like this mountain that that can't be scaled. You just think about, but you know what, I, I... I look at this psalm and I'm encouraged. 
Because in it, it's a Tim, just focus on fearing me. Cultivate that affectionate reverence for me. And let me worry about everything else. It is then that you will be blessed. It is then I will give you the grace to be able to shepherd your family. So after the declared blessing we see here in verse 1, the domestic blessing that he talks about here in verses 2 and 4, the poet ends his psalm with durable blessing, verses 5 and 6. And by durable, I mean enduring. The impact that takes place. Let me take you back to the hill. We're walking up together, singing the Psalms. And men, you, you've heard these first four verses and you're, you're starting to feel the weight of those things and the burden. And then you hear these words in verse 5. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, the psalmist here mentions Zion. Zion uh, can at times refer to the city of Jerusalem. It was called that uh, in the days before David took it from the Jebusites. But more often, it particularly references the Temple Mount. And guys, as you're ascending that hill, looking up, you can see the temple. And so we're singing the words of these songs. We're ascending God's holy hill in order to worship Him. And we hear these words of, may you be blessed. May the Lord bless you. And as you hear these words, you find encouragement in them. And that burden is lifted because you remember that it is God who is the one who can empower, who can embolden, who can strengthen you to live this out. This prayer in verses 5 and 6, it's not just some benediction that the psalmist came up with that that sounds like you know this would be a nice spiritual way to end the poem you know peace be upon israel the lord bless you from zion no there is significance to these words have you thought about how might these words be connected to the first four verses what do they have to do with what he's been talking about in regards to the godly man's home Well, I believe it shows us that a godly man's impact goes beyond the four walls of his house. You think of a large stone that's thrown into a pool of calm water. What happens? Right? You see the ripples. And is there one ripple and then it dies out? You see the ripples that that extend and move beyond where where the rock hit the water, right? There's a ripple effect. In the same way, there's a ripple effect for the man who fears the Lord in his community, into the homes of his descendants, into his church, and into his nation. It's a durable blessing. It's a blessing that lasts. It's a blessing that goes beyond the man himself. The reference to Jerusalem here in verse 5 reminds us we are part of a spiritual community. Not Jerusalem in our case, but the church. Because again, life isn't just about you and your families. You are part of an organism. You're part of the body of Christ. We all are who are in Christ. And as you grow in your relationship with Him, you will not only experience the blessing within your own life and the blessing within your family, but also you will be used of God to be a blessing to others. That's why it's so important. Men, it's so important. Involve your families in the body of Christ as much as possible consistently, frequently. 
Verse 6, notice that the durable blessing affects the next generation. The psalmist speaks here of seeing your children's children, your grandchildren. I don't think he's just saying, you know, may you live long enough to see them. I think he has the idea here of that they will be impacted by your life. Psalm 103, verse 17 says this, But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. You know, it's, it's a blessing and a joy to see your children walk with the Lord, but what I'm looking most forward to is seeing my grandchildren impacted by their parents for Christ. Psalm 128 then closes with this prayer, Peace be upon Israel. And that makes me think about our own nation, our own country. Primary need of the hour, brothers and sisters, is not lowering the national debt. The primary need of the hour is not a change in the presidency or in Congress. The primary, most important need today is not more jobs or better health care system The primary need of the hour is what? What's the greatest need that our country faces right now? The gospel, right? The gospel. That doesn't mean those other things are unimportant. Certainly they are. But the gospel is the most important need, the greatest need, the primary need of the hour. And that gospel is one that needs to be proclaimed by and lived out by God's people. And I think we see here in this psalm that, men, it begins with you. It begins with you. Make fearing God, that affectionate reverence, the aim of all you do, and God will bless you. You will impact not just your home, not just other homes, but also the world. That ripple effect extends that far. I think that's one of the reasons we see Israel mentioned here. Now, before we leave this psalm, as we close out this morning, I I don't want to give you the impression that Psalm 128 guarantees this trouble-free life. That that you, you know, if you fear the Lord, you you will definitely uh, get married, have children, experience all the blessings that he's talking about here, live, live a long life, everything will go right. What will we tell Job then? Right? He was the most righteous man on earth. He was the one guy that God pointed out. Have you seen Job? Yeah, he experienced some pretty tragic situations, didn't he? What about Jesus Christ? Did everything go his way? He suffered much and he feared God perfectly. But he wasn't married had no children, didn't live a long life, and he suffered. So Psalm 128, remember, is a wisdom psalm. It's much like what we see in the book of Proverbs. And as I mentioned to you last week, Proverbs or wisdom literature is truisms. Right? It's generally speaking here that a man who fears God generally will experience blessing. But God is the one ultimately that will shape his home and his life. And he will often bring suffering and trials and difficulties. He will have, you may have wayward children in your home. You may have a spouse that is difficult to, to live with. So this psalm isn't saying it's all guaranteed. But the man, and I could say here too, the woman who fears the Lord will be blessed, 
will experience that inner contentment and joy regardless of what's going on around you. Just remember that true blessing, true happiness, true inner satisfaction and joy is not... You can still have that even in difficult circumstances. Paul said this in Philippians 4.11, right? Didn't he say, I learned to be content regardless of the circumstances I'm in? And he saw both sides. And I could say, you know, of men in Scripture, he's definitely one I'd put in the category of a guy who feared God. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Jesus said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so, men, I, I don't want you to walk away defeated or deflated or depressed, discouraged, downtrodden. But let this psalm be a motivation to you to have a vision for something bigger. Something bigger than yourself. Again, you cannot be responsible for your ancestors, but you can make an impact on your descendants. And there is still time. You are still breathing. Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius said this in the 2nd century, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What will be your echo? Will it be a life spent on pleasure, success, fame, money, pursuing the things of this world? Or will it be an echo that you spent yourself for Jesus Christ? You know, Joshua was just such a man. Listen to his resolution that we see in Joshua 24, 15. He's speaking to the people, telling them to make a choice. He says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then he said these words, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May this be your resolve especially you husbands and fathers. For me and my house, this is what we're going to do. And may God give you the grace and bless you. Peace be upon you as you fear and love Him. Let's pray.